Welcome to Always Listing. I am your host, Joel Sharpton, and we are Always Listing. This episode is a special one. It's I started to say it's different, but it's actually not different than the last thing you heard from me. We most recently talked to um, the host of Cocaine and Rhinestones, uh, Tyler uh, Coe. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking with another podcaster. It is an interview about him, his career, and um, his work. This week, we're talking to Jay Podvader Soderberg. Uh, hi, Jay. How are you? Hey, Joel. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I am. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. It, you know, it's interesting today as we sit here um, recording this. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to get it up ASAP too. But uh, as we're recording this, it is actually three years ago that I moved officially to uh, Blog Talk Radio, and it, that was because of you. You and I had met at Podcast Movement. And I migrated all of our shows over to um, the platform that you were with at the time. And uh, that was our new media host. We even changed the name of the shows because we had a uh, a whole hang up with our former producers. And so anyway, uh, you and I, our relationship goes back just a little over three years ago. That's kind of uh, interesting that we happen to be connecting again this morning. See, it's a shame that it's only been three years ago because I worked. I started working at Blog Talk Radio four years ago, so that's it. Took me a year to convince you to switch over. Yeah, well, so you got there, and it was like it was like a two or three months after you got there. You reached out to me right after you moved, but it was like one email is like, "Hey, we're going to talk soon," and then you were busy getting settled in, I think. And then you and I did have an email exchange right before podcast movement. But honestly, I had to meet you, and like. It was it was knowing you in person that made me willing to. You know, I had reservations about the way that they uh, did business at the time, frankly, versus the way that I was hosting with uh, Libsyn. And then also, it was going to mean I knew it was going to mean a change with the people that I'd been working on the show with, these producers that I'd been working with. So it was a big step. But once I met you, and once I actually like like formed a real relationship with you instead of just uh, an internet following. Um, it was a no brainer for me. And it was literally, and I told people for at least the first year of hosting with blog talk after that, there were other reasons that I found to like them too. But in that first year, it was all about the relationship with you. I was like, well, I've got access to Jay now, so I'll move over there. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I will tell you that that jump from ESPN to blog talk radio was nail biting for me. I was, I was leaving an established corporation for a company that, while established, was, you know, as it was proposed to me, as the job was proposed to me, was basically in a start over. So it wasn't, it wasn't a start up, it was a start over. Realizing that there was a reputation with the company that I had to overcome and had to try and, and fix as best I could. And I was going to be the leading person in that effort. And I think I did a pretty decent job because they ended up getting acquired and made a lot of money in that acquisition. I think you did a great job, and but it it's that it's that leap of faith actually that you find yourself that sort of like interesting gray area, the big uncomfortable change you find yourself in right now, and that's one of the reasons why I've got a chance to talk to you, and one of the reasons why we thought it might be a good time to catch up and sort of lay out your story. But it occurs to me you've been interviewed a lot, and a lot of people have talked to you about different aspects of your career, but I had never heard. You know, one of the things in podcasting, Jay, is that you end up doing what you want, but no one else has created yet. This is it. I hadn't, I had never heard like a long form conversation about you and your career. You'd done it a few times, sort of in presentations, but again, not in podcast form, not for everybody to hear. And so that's what we're going to try to do here today. So I want to go back like all the way to the very beginning and let's talk about how you ended up in the industry of radio. I mean, when you got started, podcasting wasn't even really a thing in the very beginning, right? So how do you get into communications? How do you get into the media industry? Well, when I got started, the internet wasn't even a thing. Never <laughs> mind never mind podcasting. Podcasting wasn't even thought of when I first got started. So, I mean, when we go back, I mean, we go way back. I graduated Emerson College in 1996. Hold on. My resume is right here. I can double check very easily. <laughs> I always get it mixed up. I always think it was 96 or 98. It was 96. I graduated in, in the May, May of 1996. And I went to Emerson College specifically to learn about the business of radio. I uh, graduated with, uh, interestingly enough, my major no longer exists at Emerson College, uh, mass communications with an audio uh, slant. And uh, I wanted to be the next Howard Stern. 
uh, I was going to be a big time radio disc jockey. And uh, now that I had this great uh, degree, I was going to go work at one of the local Boston radio stations and, um, and be a big time guy. And uh, no, I was um, (laughs) talking about going way back. I was taking tape cassette production requests from the students at the Berkeley School of Music uh, at this little place called the Tape Complex. Uh, so all the uh, students at the School of Music uh, could distribute their tapes uh, at uh, at gigs or create CDs to sell to their fans. Oh yeah, it was a uh, it was a great start. And and one that like I wonder if does that even exist anymore? Like no, I mean it, no. I, like honestly, like I look at my kids and I think. Like they don't even want to, they have me as a, as a, as a mirror to look at, but they don't even want to be podcasters. Like what they really want to do, especially my youngest son, like he thinks of himself as a YouTuber already. He walks around filming things and framing things. And even like <laughs> he talks to us sometimes as if he's pitching his channel. And I'm like, dude, you don't have a channel yet. I don't allow such a thing in my house. But, but like, I wonder, I, and I, I come from that radio background too. Who wants to be on the radio anymore? Who thinks to themselves, I want to be the next Howard Stern or the next um, Rick Dees? Rick Dees is who I wanted to be when I was a kid. You know, I wanted to run the top 40 show and be the coolest guy in the world talking about the best music. Like that's, that's what I wanted to do when I was eight years old and nine years old. Well, shows like that don't exist anymore. I mean, think about your biggest radio stars right now. You're, you're like, you got, uh, you got the guy on iHeartRadio right now, um, Duran. Um, you know, he does a show still. He's got a whole group of, you know, the whole morning show cavalcade. But, uh, I mean, even his show, it's a five-minute stop set. Uh, Seacrest, uh, Ryan Seacrest in the afternoons, also on iHeartRadio. Uh, he's not doing I – mean, he'll do a show, but again, you're talking about at most a five-minute stop set. Their shows are very much on radio have been programmed to that five-minute rule. Like you can't do anything for more than five minutes. You're going to lose your audience's attention. And honestly, I think they even cut that down now. It's like two or three minutes. If you do longer than a three-minute stop set, oh, my God, uh, somebody has changed the channel. You need to quickly get the music back on. So, you know, radio is sort of overanalyzed the data that they've gotten uh, over the years to the point where it's pretty much unlistenable. That's why you don't hear people saying they want to be the next radio star. They want to be podcasters. They want to do a long form show and honestly get back to some of the stuff that happened in the 90s and in the 80s where shows were shows. People were actually producing a show that was entertaining and that grabbed the attention of lots and lots of people. So uh, tell us about the entry into the, uh, <laughs> I like the way you've described it before, the the four-letter sports network. It's a, it's a good way not ever <laughs> to cross anybody's trademark. But, the, you know, the, the big house that Mouse uh, owns now, uh, and they own all the sports, uh, the Ocho included, it, it seems, from time to time. Um, yeah, well, how, I mean, how did you get there? How did that start? What did it look like when you first walked in? So even before I got to the four-letter Sports Network, I actually had my toe dipped into one of the biggest podcasting corporations, quote unquote, uh, that exists right now in the world. And that's the three-letter place known as NPR. My first gig, first real radio gig was with the Christian Science Monitor, and they produced a daily news radio show uh, that was broadcasted on National Public Radio. You know, I was in the tape complex and one of my former uh, professors walks in and goes, didn't you graduate? What the hell are you doing here? <laughs> and, I, and I said, uh, this is the this is the gig I got currently. And he's like, you have a degree from Emerson College. You do not belong here. Uh, I have two gigs that I could send you. You can go work for WBUR, but it's a union shop and they only pay nine bucks an hour. Or you can go work for the Christian Science Monitor. Uh, don't worry. Uh, they're, they're religious, but the, their religion doesn't get into their reporting. Uh, it's strictly a news outfit. Uh, they're not union, and they pay 13 bucks an hour. 
uh, and the uh, <laughs> the the twenty one year old kid went, "I'll take the more money, please, and thank you." <laughs> um, so ended up there for a year, uh, and then uh, I was working there basically part time on call, all hours, overnight, second shift, first shift, you name it. I, I was working it, um, doing mostly radio production. Um, you know, bringing in the reporter sound bites mixing their stories together, uh, and then, you know, working, <laughs> working with reel to reel tape too, by the way. Uh, so, uh, a white Sharpie pencil, a white grease pencil and a razor blade, uh, with two big reel to reel machines and then editing those down for broadcast. Uh, and I did that for a year. They went bankrupt, uh, which kind of sucked because <laughs> they were getting ready to hire me full time. Uh, and they they shuttered operations. I ended up moving back home and basically took the summer off, but uh, got a gig with this place called um, the Connecticut Radio Network, uh, writing ski reports uh, for their ski watch program. And I don't even know if the ski watch thing exists anymore. But uh, again, this is before the internet. I was writing ski reports for the Colorado and New Mexico ski resorts in Connecticut. So I was getting faxes and um, call-in reports from our uh, intrepid ski reporters uh, and then writing scripts for radio broadcasts uh, that would be syndicated all across the country. And um, the, the biggest thing that I took away from that particular gig was I mean, you've heard a ski report uh, on the radio from time to time. It's, uh, oh, today the uh, the slopes are really great. Uh, the uh, base is uh, 23 inches, and uh, you're not going to have any problems. There's a nice, fresh uh, coat of powder on the slope, so go and have a great day. I was like, this is the most boring thing ever. Why do I need to write this? So I started writing themes in all the ski reports. So it'd be, you know, one day would be like the Wizard of Oz. Uh, the next day, you know, would be a back to the future or I would take something and try and relate the ski conditions to some sort of pop culture thing that was happening at that particular point in time or some sort of movie reference that I could just, you know, make it a little bit more interesting than just the, all right, there's uh, two new inches of snow out there on the mountains today. Go and enjoy the ski slopes. No, I was like, you know. Hey, maybe uh, you can go back to the future when uh, the the mountain was really packed. And guess what? It's Tuesday. Nobody's there. So go enjoy yourself on the slopes. That sort of thing. It was taking what was rote and just twisting it enough to make it unique and special. And I made my mark. As soon as I started doing that, the boss started encouraging all the writers to start doing the same thing for all of the resorts. And it uh, it really made a difference. They gave me an opportunity to voice some of those uh, ski reports, which I appreciated because I wanted to be a DJ. Uh, writing ski reports was not the way to get <laughs> to become a DJ. So I got to voice ski reports for Jammin' Z90 in San Diego. So again, d just note, I was writing ski reports in Connecticut for Colorado and New Mexico resorts and then voicing the ski reports for a station in San Diego. Radio is so weird, man. Radio mm. is, it's such a weird industry. So I didn't do the, uh, first of all, I never did ski reports and I actually didn't get to do a lot of writing early on, but I very much remember the days when I first got into radio and I only did reel to reel tape a couple of times. You were a few years ahead of me there, but <laughs> when I first got into radio, I was that guy that was available for all the shifts. <laughs> like they called, you know, at 4 a.m. Hey, the morning guy is sick. Can you produce the sports show this morning at six? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I can. I can do that. In <laughs> fact. And then also, can you voice track for the overnight shift when you get done with that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I can. In fact, I can do that. And, and I was, it's tough times on the one side, but on the other side, one of the reasons why radio as an industry has always been able to get away with that 
is because there's always been knuckleheads like you and me that wanted to be the next Howard Stern or the next Rick Dees, right? Well, my my internship was at WFNX in Boston. Uh, it was the alternative solution. And my job was to come in with the recording of the big show the night before. I remember I did it with Seinfeld and Friends mostly and take like the biggest joke from the night before and then intersplice it with the voiceover guy uh, and, you know, morning guy tie mornings, you know, from six to 10 on WFNX and then put in, you know, the bite from last night's show. So that was my, that was my internship. I was basically doing imaging for the morning show on the second largest rock station in Boston at the time. So it was, I mean, that, that was the thing. Uh, that was the gig. That was the deal. You, you did work for free or you didn't work. You know, I, I saw a like a short, like a seven minute thing on Facebook recently with the guy who is the current voice for Winnie the Pooh, and he's done a bunch of Disney voices for years and years and years. He's done lots of other animation work, especially he's done some acting too, but he was talking about his break and his break was he, as a high schooler, he was working as like a janitor at Disneyland. He would, he would get out of school early and he would go to Disneyland and he would, you know, sweep up. And eventually he got a job working a spotlight on one of the evening shows. And as he's working the spotlight, he's on the headset, of course, with all of the, you know, production stage manager and all of that stuff. And when the voiceover would come on to tell people not at the time to silence your cell phones, but they would be like, you know, no flash photography and please enjoy your show and all of that stuff. This guy who's just a high schooler working the spot, he would put on his little impression and he started doing the narration like ever so slightly ahead of the voice guy. And he just did it one night on mic with, with everybody on the crew listening. And as soon as he was done, the production stage manager said, uh, Hey, listen, uh, when the show's over, will you come back to uh, my office, please? And he thought, well, that's it. I, I don't get to work for Disney anymore. They're going to can me. But instead, when he got to the office, the woman said, hey, you passed your voice audition. Uh, I want you to go to this office tomorrow afternoon instead of sweeping up and um, t talk to them about some voice work. And it was like a promotion. And immediately he started getting to do like the rain out announcements and, you know, things like, you know, this ride is closed and things like that. And there's all these announcements that have to happen every day at Disneyland. And he was now doing that. And that's how he got his start. That little bit of creativity, that little bit of originality, that little bit of like something extra where sometimes you have a bad manager and it does get quashed more often though. You have a good manager or somebody that is paying attention and they go, Hey, not only is that great for you and we can find all new sorts of ways to use you, but we're going to take that thing that you did and make it standard operating procedure. You know, since uh, this is a podcast about listening to other podcasts, I will tell you one of the podcasts I used to listen to way back in the early days uh, was one done by Rob Paulson. Uh, who is a very famous uh, voiceover uh, actor, does the voice for Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. He's uh, the voice of Donatello in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, a whole bunch of different voices on the Animaniacs, which was a great cartoon uh, growing up. Back in the day, his podcast was awesome. It was all about the whole voiceover actor scene. So uh, he's still doing one. I think it, I don't know if he's still on the Nerdist or not, but uh, it's now called Talking Tunes with Rob Paulson. Uh, yeah, I think they, they even do like a video version of that that I think is on their, like their pay channel. I don't know if the podcast is available, but I, you know, I didn't realize that that was, I didn't know he had one back in the day. I'll have to go check that out, see if it's still open. So, but let's, let's talk about when you, when you first got to ESPN, what does it feel like coming into, because even though, I mean, they weren't the giant that they are in all the different areas of media now, but even then at the time they were one of the cable networks when there weren't that many, <laughs> you know, I right. mean, like they've always, as long as they've existed, they've been a pretty big deal. So what is it like walking into a company like that? Well, it was thanks to the gig at the Ski Watch because one of the voiceover guys at Ski Watch was doing news updates for this thing called ESPN Radio. And I used to ask him all the time, I was like, listen, I watch ESPN uh, day in and day out. And I see on the bottom line, uh, ESPN Radio, check your local listings. I was like, where can I hear ESPN Radio in Connecticut? And he's like, you can't. I was like, but they're based in Bristol? And he's like, yeah, and they're looking for people all the time. 
I was like, well, I, when this is when this gig is over in in April, I'm going to be looking for a gig. Uh, you mind if I gave you a resume? He's like, oh, yeah, sure. And that's how I got my start at ESPN. I knew a guy who knew a guy who gave the, my resume to uh, Bill Rodman, uh, who brought me in and said, we're going to be starting this overnight show. Um, it's called All Night with Todd Wright. Uh, if you want to operate the board um, and and basically be an assistant producer on that show, we'd love to have you. And I was like, great, I'm in, sold. So there you go. That's how I got in. On my first night, by the way, I had never operated a board for a radio show up to that point. I had assisted at Monitor Radio with the direction, but uh, I had never actually operated a board for a radio show. I completely lied uh, when interviewed. Oh, can you do this? I was like, oh yeah, sure, with my eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it honestly isn't all that difficult. Uh, it, it looks a lot more foreboding than it actually is. Uh, you just put a you just put up a couple of levels and, and you make sure nobody goes over zero and you're perfectly fine. Uh, I, think, the- <laughs> I, I think honestly, Jay, it's the reason why it's the, the, the gear stays that complex is to keep people out of our industry. They, the mixers be. look scary. The boards look scary. And so people will think, oh, well, I can't do that. Trained monkeys could do our jobs if they could talk. They just can't yep. yet, so they don't. That's it. Yeah. Well, and that was the, and, and that's ultimately how my job started to evolve. So I started as the board operator. There was no production on the show whatsoever. And I had obviously had a bunch of production experience. I was doing it as an intern for the morning show. I was like, hey, why don't we put some production on the show? Todd was like, absolutely. This is my style. This is what I want to hear. Uh, this is my type of music. Make it happen. Produced up the all night show to the point where the morning show, uh, which at first started as Mike Golick and Tony Bruno, they were all like, the production on the overnight show is better than the production on the morning show. We need that guy working on the morning show. And I was like, no, I'm loyal to Todd, man. Todd, Todd gave me Freedom of Rain. Plus, this is a much more fun show than, than your show. Your show is boring. Tony Bruno leaves. Mike Greenberg comes in. My wife gets pregnant. And next thing I know, I'm saying, can I go work on the morning show now <laughs> so I can change my hours? <laughs> so I ended up on the morning show. Uh, I was dubbed one name Jay on the all night show. So fans of Mike and Mike in the morning, if you knew one name Jay, that was me, uh, the crazy Patriots fan who enjoyed the first Patriots Super Bowl while producing uh, Mike and Mike in the morning. And again, taking those highlights and mixing it with a theme, giving each team a theme. I, uh, I'm trying to remember. I know the theme for the LA, for the LA Rams. See, I already call them the LA. I'm so engrossed in calling them the LA Rams. They were the St. Louis Rams uh, in that Super Bowl. I gave them the theme of something like the machine. I think it was like some hard paced techno music and the Patriots. I had given the underdog theme. <laughs> uh, how times have changed yeah that shows how long ago that was right there is when you could get away with giving them the underdog theme i mean honestly that's a that's that's a whole tom brady ago <laughs> yeah yeah completely and then from there you know things just evolved you know i got more and more involved in doing production um you know imaging and and things of that nature that I was, it was sort of like, well, the morning show is good, but you know, the midday show where Tony Kornheiser could use some production and then the, uh, the afternoon show could use some imaging and the, the nighttime show needs some imaging. And we've got this special uh, NFL draft show happening on the weekend that needs some imaging and production. So they, as the, as the network continued to grow and evolve, uh, the need for a production outlet started and me and another guy were the two basic producers uh in charge of all of the imaging entire network and now is no longer tied to a show uh as much as i was responsible for a few different shows to create the imaging for for that and creating commercials and promos and basically anything that wasn't voiced by an on-air talent uh i had put my fingerprints on most of it or at least 50 percent of it and, and then as we continue to evolve uh, there was one fateful day in 2005 uh, when I got called in the office and the boss said, 
we need to start doing this thing called podcasting. And of course, my response is the same one that everyone had back then. What the hell is a podcast? So at that point, you weren't listening to any yet. You hadn't already sort of dived in yourself. I w- I'm trying to think for myself. I don't think it, in 2005, I wasn't list- I hadn't listened to anything yet either. Uh, I don't think they were even on... Were they on iTunes already in 2005? I guess they were. Uh, then maybe it was 2004. It's, t- it's always tough to tell what freaking year we started. Because I started with football today. I think it was, honestly, I think I started in the football season of 2004. But I know Matthew Barry started in 2005, which is why I always get that screwed up. Yeah, well, and that's and that's when it really right. took off. 2005 is when like a lot of big players jumped in in 2005. I think a lot of people doubled down on whatever sort of like toe they had stuck into the market. So anyway, that was the launch. It was where you were right there around the time of the iTunes launch as well. So basically nobody knew what podcasting was. There were only <laughs> Dave Jackson and and the guys from Twit. They knew what it was before then. Adam Curry, <laughs> right? Well, well, and that was the thing. So, so the boss said, you're going to find out. And all my research led me to Leo Laporte, Adam Curry, uh, listening to what those guys were doing and basically stealing what they were doing and just putting it into a sports format. That was basically all I did. Honestly, I think the job originally was just going to have me sit in the studio and hit record. The on-air talent was going to come in, record something and then leave. But the first guy that walked into the studio to work with me was like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. And I said, well, you know, radio shows, you, you got to sort of tell a story and you got to start with the beginning, middle and end. You got to have a little bit of a format here. And so we got to sort of do this and uh, hear some of the latest news headlines. You don't want to just give the headline. You want to give your opinion. So you want to make it unique. You want to make it something that's uh, unique to yourself and then we can sort of create around there and as the show grows we'll get some emails we'll throw some emails in there you know we'll make a couple of fake ones up right now so that you can sort of answer some fake emails you've got a little format now and i'll put some production onto it you know so you'll have a nice little open at the beginning and something to close it out with and uh, we'll be all good and that's how it started. He came in, Jeremy Green uh, came in and recorded three episodes of First and Fifteen uh, that we were going to launch the first official. I, well, no, I don't even know if it's an official podcast because ESPN had been broadcasting on the Internet for a while before then. Uh, there were a couple of different shows. The Fantasy Focus before Matthew Berry uh, was actually being broadcast as an Internet only show. Uh, baseball today uh, was actually being done by a host. And I, I always forget his name. He ended up uh, becoming a writer at the New York times and one of the lead guys uh, in the concussion stories uh, that have come out. He's been one of the lead reporters to sort of break that story uh, from the NFL. He, he was doing baseball today at the time. So f- first in 15, which later became football today was the first podcast that I had worked on. And then I created that format and then took that format and copied it to any other podcast that I would end up working on college football today, the fantasy focus, Matthew Berry came into the studio one day and introduced himself and said, this is the idea that I've got. This is what I want to do. Let's, uh, let's rotate some co-hosts. Ultimately, Nate Ravitz came in. I was like, listen, you and Nate got the best chemistry out of any of the other hosts that we brought in. You two should do it. Matthew was, of course, the head of the fantasy department. So he was the lead dog to start. And Nate and I sat down one day and I was like, listen, uh, you're a much better lead dog than he is. Um, You're a better bus driver. Uh, How should we break this to him? (laughs) Like, Should we just be like, we're going to put Nate in a position that will better highlight your strengths, you know, the dirty junk that you don't have to worry too much about, you know, the, the introducing everybody to the show, doing the promotions, all that good stuff. Nate's a better person at doing all that. So uh, we're, we're just going to start the show with Nate from now on. Okay, great. <laughs> and there you go. Fantasy Focus was born. Eventually they gave me an official title of producer, the Fantasy Focus guy. That doesn't describe what Jay does. We're going to give him a different title. We're going to call him the Podfather. Uh, to which I said, you can't call me the Podfather. It's already been taken. Adam Curry is the Podfather. Uh, no one else can be the Podfather. And they said, okay, uh, well, the Podfather is too cool for you anyway. You need something more geeky, something that uh, uh, no one would ever want. 
Pod Vader. You will now be Pod Vader. And I was like, oh, yeah? Well, I happen to like Star Wars, and I will embrace this position. (laughs) (laughs) And from that point on, one name, Jay, died and became Pod Vader. So that was, and it's weird though. That was a behind-the-scenes decision. It was almost like, what, what, what do we call this guy's job? It wasn't, you know. It seems to, in retrospect, you might think that it's about the personality that you had and the way that you interacted with the talent on the show. It was a behind-the-scenes decision. It was basically like, well, executive producer isn't what he is. He's more than that. What is he? I don't know. He's a pod Vader. That's what he is. That's interesting. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. So what was the imperative, though? Like, what were the suits telling you at the time when they first came and said, okay, yes, we got to have podcasting. And now once you've done it, we've got to expand it out. We've got to add these shows. I mean, it was it's clear for a long, long time afterwards, they didn't see the real potential of podcasting, even though they were investing in it. So since they didn't see it as the next great frontier because they haven't rushed exactly in that direction. What was the imperative that they were talking to you about at the time? Why, why was it so important to not only plant their flag, but then to grow their territory in this space? Well, it's funny because I was talking to, to somebody at the last podcast movement from ESPN and there appears to be a little, uh, disagreement on who the vision of podcasting uh, who really came up with this vision of podcasting at ESPN? Uh, but from my perspective, the guy that was in charge, the guy who brought podcasting to ESPN was the wise and sage-like Mark Herrein. He was like the vice president of sales for ESPN Audio. He was the guy that was behind us getting into pie. He was like, listen, we got to do this. It's going to increase our inventory. He obviously had a vision and an idea, but from a content perspective, because he was a sales guy uh, and had worked on the dot-com side of things, his department was actually called ESPN Radio Partnerships. And so when I was originally you know, entitled as a producer, I was actually working in that department. I was no longer working for the ESPN Radio Department. I was working for the ESPN uh, Digital Partnerships Department. As Mark's job continue to evolve and he got more and more involved in sales he had no idea what was going on content wise he didn't have any idea about the content and that's sort of where i was sort of given the latitude to create what i could the mission was just create great content that would uh, build an audience and could build a monetizable audience and that was my directive was just go and produce great content And I was really given a lot of feedback from on high. Now, ESPN partnerships, uh, again, as things evolved, would disappear and podcasting would again be under the leadership of ESPN radio. And if you think radio has no idea what podcasting is now, uh, they really didn't have any idea of what podcasting was like back then. They were trying to get the podcasts to do all of those things that I mentioned earlier on about what has made radio awful. The, well, we got to do five minute things. We got to do resets every five minutes. We can't lose our audience because we know that we're going to lose them every five minutes. And I think it was Mark Ramsey who once said, listen, podcasts don't have a middle. Nobody starts with a podcast by jumping into the middle of it. They start at the very beginning. Radio is nothing but a middle. You always are jumping into the middle of a radio show. Uh, there is no beginning. It's, it's always constant and it goes away. Uh, podcast never goes away. It's always there. It's always available. You can listen to get this. You can listen to it when you want, how you want. And that was the beauty of when I was first introduced to podcasting. I was like, Oh, you mean I can now listen to my football news without having to listen to all the basketball and baseball stuff. This is fantastic. This is the death of radio. I can now listen to my radio how I want, when I want, whenever I want, wherever I want. That's still sort of the key core to podcasting, what makes it most exciting and should be most attractive to most people at this particular point. I think it's something that we, as longtime podcasters, seem to have forgotten, that people who don't know what podcasting is still need to be told, listen, this is content that you can get basically on demand it was a shame that on demand ended up being trademarked uh but basically i remember at one point early on 
I was, I was like, listen, this is like a DVR for your radio, except there's no radio shows. And then we started rebroadcasting radio shows. But yeah, I, the concept is you can listen to this on demand the same way you can watch a TV show after you record it whenever you want to watch it. I think that's still something that we tend to forget these days. So what's interesting to me, Jay, is, and I, I think this is going to transition and we can come back to sort of the, the, the final stages at ESPN maybe, but this is going to transition into something that I want to ask you about, about the podcasting space in general. I feel like, and this is an, an evolving opinion of mine, but I feel like there might be two different kinds of people. There might be people like you and me who, when given the option to program their own entertainment, immediately want to take that option and find that super compelling and cannot imagine returning to a previous method where other people programmed it all for us. And then I think there are other people who the concept of decisions for Mm. fun is unnerving and unpleasant to them. And And I think, honestly, there are people who love to have a television on just in the background. And I am not one of those people. Like the idea of just having whatever Nickelodeon is putting on right now, or like, or even ESPN or like, like I used to be a news junkie, but the thought of just leaving CNN or, or MSNBC or Fox news or any of those channels, never mind your politics. The thought of having a constant stream of something coming at me is so unpleasant an idea, I can't imagine it. And yet, I hear people asking for that with podcasting. Like, hey, is there a thing that I can just like go click in and listen to what's on now? Well, I mean, yeah, it's called the radio. <laughs> like, and we don't do that. But I think, I think honestly, that that is what a certain set of the population wants. So it's possible that a bigger set than what we have now as podcast listeners need just need to be trained that it is available and how easy it is and that the audio can work just like you said their dvr and those people are already doing television that way with netflix and hulu and dvr but they don't know that audio is that way for them too but then i think there's another set that will never want what we have right now with podcasting and if we want to give them our content we're going to have to develop something some other form of delivering it, which I'm not sure that I want to do. But anyway, that's the that's the crossroads that I think we might be at as we continue to grow our number of total listenership. Well, I think there are some places, though, such as uh, a Spotify or or even Voxnest to a degree that provide you with exactly that type of experience where they're going to curate the podcasts that they feel like you might enjoy I guess really no one's really done it though on a very personal level. I think people have tried getting the folks at auto radio maybe have tried doing like a personalized playlist for you. But again, nobody's going to know your tastes better than you. And, and quite honestly, people that just want like the, the background noise, what's wrong with you? Learn <laughs> to enjoy something like, guess what? Vanilla is fine every now and then, but, but try the chocolate chip. It adds a little extra flavor uh, to that vanilla ice cream. <laughs> All right, let's go back for a, a little bit to the exit from ESPN. And, and you know, the impression that I got from you and the conversations we had, you know, at the time and afterwards, especially, it, it sort of felt like they were a, a suit that year after year continued to be a little tighter and tighter on Jay. And the things that they wanted to do with podcasting were just not what you wanted to do anymore. Like, is that an accurate representation of, of how it happened? Yeah, I'd probably say it's mostly accurate. I think really what it was is I knew what podcasting was all about. I knew the power of podcasting. I knew how intimate a setting podcasting is. And again, it was just one of those things where I was fighting against the ideal of the, we got to do everything in five minutes. We got to make sure that uh, we're resetting. We got to make sure that we're doing all these things that we do on radio, ju- on the podcasts, just like we do on radio. And I was like, that's not the right thing. And during my time in podcasting, I had, I think, four or five different bosses uh, in the span of, I think, eight years is how long I had been podcasting at ESPN. And it was just one of those things where 
I was the guy that was doing all the work. I was the guy that found the different conferences to go attend and be a part of. I was the guy that was doing all of the research towards what we should be doing next. How do we take podcasting to the next level? What can we be doing to get more advertisers involved with the content that we're putting out beyond just doing an add-on? You know, ESPN obviously being a major corporation has tons of different relationships with different advertisers, but podcasting was just sort of an add-on for them. Like Coke Zero launched with a very famous campaign about uh, how the Coca-Cola company was suing the Coke Zero division because they stole the recipe. That was something that was used as an add-on for the Fantasy Focus. So the Fantasy Focus was very much part of that uh, ad campaign. And we would you know, do things creatively on the Fantasy Focus with our advertisers to make it feel like it was more part of the show. It wasn't just an ad. So it was never really an official rule that we had, but it seemed like every email that got read uh, that was sent in from a listener had some sort of reference to Coke Zero in it. It became such a thing that literally the only people that would get their emails read were the ones that had some sort of funny reference to Coke Zero in their email. And that was just one of the things that we started doing, like we realized right up right on the bat, we're like, we can do advertising differently. That's not so different, by the way. They used to do it way back when radio was first invented. That it just blends right into the content. It doesn't have to stick out like a sore thumb so people hit the fast forward button or turn the podcast off or any of the things that people would do on the radio to not listen to commercials. We can blend it in, make it much more entertaining, and by the way, be much more effective for that brand because those people now go now attach that brand with their favorite podcast that they're already attached to. That was something that that we're very much on the forefront of uh, and very much implemented at ESPN and made sure that anytime we had any sort of advertising that we would do it. You know, Ross Tucker of Football Today and now the Ross Tucker Football Podcast will tell you the story. He thought that anytime he said State Farm, he was going to get paid on the podcast. And so he used to open up the show, hey, welcome to Football Today, presented by State Farm, State Farm, State Farm, State Farm, State Farm. It became a thing on the show where people would actually walk up to him or see him in in England where State Farm doesn't exist and be like, yo, State Farm, State Farm. And by the way, this is still years ago, and we still haven't really adopted some of the things that we were doing. I mean, this is literally like seven, eight years ago we were doing this sort of stuff in podcasts. This is stuff that we should be doing much more often even today, that we still haven't sort of grasped yet. Well, it's interesting to me that the visual mediums, YouTube, uh, television, and film have all gotten more in bed with like embedded uh, advertising and, you know, brand placement and, um, you know, sponsored content and things like that. Like all of them do that to a greater extent still than radio does. Uh, radio basically doesn't real radio, terrestrial radio basically doesn't do it at all. Podcasting does it more than they used to, but they still don't do it to the level that you're right that you guys were doing it on ESPN then like it really was uh, totally central to your product during one of those big and it's not like Coke Zero was the only one you guys did it with several of them oh yeah we created a we created a character Charles Schwab uh, did some advertising on uh, yeah talk to Chuck talk talk to Chuck we created a character who was Chuck so people could email their questions. To literally talk to Chuck, and Chuck basically was the, the magic eight ball. Uh, I did find a legit person named Chuck at ESPN and had him record basically the same things that you would get from a magic eight ball. It looks cloudy. And then it got to the point where that person's voice sounded a lot like mine. And Matthew Barry thought that Chuck was me. And so then I had to get Chuck to come in and start recording. And I sort of made him like a howl uh, from 2001 ripping on Matthew. Now, Matthew, don't forget uh, that horrible <laughs> advice you gave about Adrian Peterson. Mm -mm -mm. Don't want to follow that same road. 
Chuck became a character and Chuck was Charles Schwab. It was the whole talk to Chuck. It was, it was an advertisement, but it wasn't an advertisement. It became content on the show. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it was really good radio too. I mean, honestly, really good audio. That was in the thick of me listening to the show and like literally every episode that came out. Even I, I, I love the show so much at the time that I got to listen to the baseball fantasy podcast, even though I didn't listen. I didn't, I don't watch baseball. I still don't watch baseball, but I would listen to it just because I loved all of you so much. All right. Let's, let's transition because I, I don't want to take up all of your day here. Let's talk about. The move. I out have of, all day though, Joel. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah, sort of. But let's talk about the move out of ESPN and and to uh, Blog Talk Radio at the time. Now the company is is Voxnest. But you know, you mentioned earlier your sort of like evolution and uh, poking at the nature of advertising and like expanding upon what they were doing. And in some ways, I think that was some of the things that are one of the things that drew you to blog talk radio, the idea that they were approaching that for the average podcaster in a really different way. Was it just the idea that you could really be one of the bosses and, and, and move up to a higher level of direction and, and self-management or, or what was the draw there to, to get out from under the umbrella? Well, I could lie and say, no, that had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it was, it was definitely a part of it. I mean, honestly, having a career opportunity to move up the ladder and become a vice president, even if it was a smaller company, a start over company, it was still something that definitely was an attraction, something that I don't think I was going to get the opportunity at ESPN, quite frankly, despite all of the work and everything that I had done uh, to make podcasting a thing at ESPN. I don't think that opportunity was ever going to come my way. Looking for that next opportunity to continue to grow my career and uh, there were other factors. You mentioned the advertising one, but even before I get to that, storytelling to me is storytelling. It doesn't matter if it's sports, business, news, uh, pop culture, you name it. You tell a story pretty much the exact same way in all the genres with little twists and the ability to work with podcasters in all different genres to help them with their storytelling was definitely another attractive part. You can take the boy out of the sports, but you can't take the sports out of the boy. So I still do my own podcast that happens to be NFL-centric, but I have other interests. <laughs> I mentioned when I was first writing ski reports, inflicting any type of pop culture pain I could on anyone that was going to listen to these ski reports. You know, I was a very much a, a geek and a nerd, and that coming from a guy named after Darth Vader, I think it should be quite obvious that I definitely had other interests other than sports. And so helping podcasters tell their story was something that I knew I could do and could do fairly effectively. And then the advertising aspect. And Blog Talk Radio was one of the first companies to really embrace dynamic ad insertion, but to do so in a manner of bringing those advertising dollars that exist in the world today to the smaller podcaster. A lot of people will say, I was actually just listening to another podcast this week and I was banging my head against the wall listening to it because while the information in the podcast was factually correct, there's no context to it. And what they were saying in that particular podcast is no one's making money in podcasting. Well, no one is a slight exaggeration and a generality. But when you look at it, direct response advertising, which is what most people think about when they're thinking about advertising in podcasting, is only available to the podcasters that have 10,000 listens or more per episode. Well, if you listen to Rob Walsh at Libsyn, if you've got 10,000 or more listens per episode, you're in the top 2% of podcasters. So if there's 500,000 podcasts in the Apple ecosphere, you can figure out pretty quickly 2% is a very small amount of podcasters that are getting direct response advertising. But that means there's also a ginormous amount of podcasters who have no access to that sort of ad dollar. And that was one of the things that Andy Toe, who was the general manager of Blog Talk Radio at the time, noticed and said, we can fill that we can fill that void. We can create an ad product that works very much like Google AdSense and provide monetization to the smaller podcaster. And while it won't be enough money to 
you know, live off of. You wouldn't be able to make your podcast a job if you're only getting a thousand listens per episode. You will be making enough to actually now make your hobby, which to that point was a net negative, into at least a break even, if not a net positive, and start making a little bit of money, maybe even enough to pay off a bill, maybe enough to pay off not just your hosting for your podcast, but maybe your web hosting for your website, you can start actually looking at your hobby as something that could be a business. And if you were a larger podcaster who was getting over 10,000 listens per episode, well, now you can take that revenue that you're making from the direct response advertising, use the dynamic advertisement to really increase your revenue. A lot of podcasters could see their revenue increased by up to 50% by using a combination. Understanding there are many ways to monetize a podcast. They all can work together in conjunction with each other. It doesn't have to be one or the other. That's really sort of the core to what Andy sold to me working at Blog Talk Radio and and why I got on board and, and started helping as many podcasters as I could with the program. I think really the one drawback, you know, beyond helping the other podcasters was we were a start over, so we had a reputation that we had to overcome, a previous reputation that had nothing to do with what we were doing or what we were what we were going to create moving forward. That sort of held us back, but also the way that you could sign up for the revenue program. You had to switch your host, uh, and that was asking for a huge leap of faith that you mentioned uh, when I brought you on, that you had to take sort of well, this is a company that I've heard I shouldn't be using them. They're going to make my audio sound like crap. That was definitely something that, you know, a lot of podcasters couldn't overcome. In the long run, though, you know, I ended up building the the Blog Talk Radio program, increasing their listens 40% year over year for three straight years. So really worked on that outreach and worked with a lot of podcasters to help make them some money. Well, and and you did. You made me some money over the last few years, absolutely. And the other thing, Jay, is you significantly changed the profile of, of Blog Talk Radio. I think, you know, the recent, uh, well, not so recent anymore, about a year ago, the acquisition or the merger from Spreaker and Blog Talk Radio, and of course, they rebranded then the parent company now known as VoxNest. You think about, boy, if that rebranding or a similar rebranding had taken place at the same time as you were coming on and the focus of blog talk radio was really shifting to this dynamic ad product, it might have been a whole different ball game and, and the history of things might have been fairly drastically different. What ended up happening though is you guys convinced the industry of it. You just didn't convince them to sign on to your particular product. You convinced <laughs> right. them to all go build their own products. So now what we have is we've got like six or seven different primary companies and then there's really like a dozen different products but there's six or seven that have a, a really robust product that they're offering and then they have partnered with other media hosts basically to each have their own little fiefdoms and you and i've talked a lot about off the air okay fine it's working and everybody can basically do what you guys were doing uh previously with blog talk radio and what's still happening with Spreaker. That's that I'm hosting now uh, on Spreaker's platform specifically, but I'm using that same dynamic ad insertion product that I've been using for years. That works fine. And we'll all work at about the same level that we've been working at. But if there had truly been one net one marketplace for that advertising, if one product had come out and been the product that everybody could sign up and use, as you said, interdependent or independent of the hosting of the media hosting, I think that would have made the difference and really turned it into the Google AdSense of podcasting. And what's going to happen now, I think, is most likely is you're going to have a media host like Google, maybe with Anchor to come in and do that anyway. And it's not going to be as independent podcaster friendly as it would have been in the alternate universe. It, it is definitely something that I'm concerned about with the fiefdoms. Uh, I know that it, with the individual marketplaces, now you're going to create the wrong type of competition. And honestly, what you wanted to do was create competition amongst the advertisers. So the way it ends up working is essentially you put out your impressions for auction, advertiser A buys out the inventory. Advertiser B says, I want some of that offers a higher bid, advertiser A says, I ain't giving it up. They go bigger, and now they start bidding against each other. Well, when you have independent marketplaces, when you have 
six or seven different independent marketplaces, that bidding doesn't take place anymore because advertiser B goes, well, you might have all of that place. Now I'm going to go buy out all of this place over here. And then maybe advertiser C comes in and goes, well, I'm going to buy out all of this place over here. And the CPMs never increase because they can keep buying each of the individual marketplaces to help them ultimately get their message out. And so the CPMs will never rise. It does have to become one sort of global marketplace for it to be really successful. And you mentioned the other 800 pound gorilla that's, you know, starting to wake up and get into the game in Google. And I ultimately think that is where that sort of thing is going to end up heading. Well, I mean, they own such a big portion of Anchor to begin with, and they have clearly done this already with video through the YouTube product. I mean, they didn't start YouTube, but they bought it very early on. And this is exactly what YouTube has done. They say, let us just handle the hosting. We'll build you a great ad product and all you independent creators can make a lot of money on your creative product. And that's true on YouTube, except that it's completely within the terms of what YouTube wants to do. And so when YouTube changes its opinion on how things should run, that affects your business as an independent creator. The beauty of podcasting is the independent silos. We can all build our own little playhouses and then come play together in the big marketplace that is the Apple podcast directory or, uh, you know, Spotify or whatever. But like, I, I don't know, man. There's, there's, I just, I see an alternate past <laughs> where things went slightly different with your time at Blog Talk, and the whole industry would be a little bit better for it. I'm, I'm not a fatalist. I don't think the the game is rigged. I don't think it's over for independent producers or anything like that. I'm not a doomsayer, yeah. but it, it does look like we're going to have to be on our guard. Where if you'd asked me two years ago, I, I never thought a big player would come in and totally take over podcasting. I'm not so sure that the you mentioned Anchor. I don't. I don't think we have much to fear from Anchor. It is odd that that Google is a major investor in Anchor, and Apple seems to be um, very enticed by the Anchor product. It could be coincidence, uh, but usually where there's smoke, there's fire. So I do have my eyes on that particular product for sure. But I think what this ultimately will do is it's going to make things to monetize your podcast as an independent podcaster even more difficult. But like I said, advertising is not the only ways to monetize your podcast. There are many other ways that you can do it. Uh, You could be selling merchandise. I think the folks over at T Republic have a great product and a great system that can help you monetize uh, your show via merchandise. Uh, I think Patreon, that's going to be a model that will probably never go away. But I think I have my issues with sort of uh, listener-supported content and the idea that that will continue forever and someone can live off of that. I think there's a few people that can do that. I don't think everyone will be able to do that. And and basically, my thought is, as a person who has his entire day available, (laughs) Joel, there's only so many different places that I can give my $10 a month. And ultimately, if I have to choose to spend that $10 on content uh that i could also get for free i'm probably going to go get the free content um and save that 10 bucks a month so that's sort of what i see and and it's one of those things too where again understanding that life is cyclical history does repeat itself we have seen a period in time where content was um listener supported and it went away uh, for quite some time and you know, there was a time when public radio was in desperate trouble, and it wasn't even all that long ago. Podcasting seems to be something that's given them a new lifeblood, but there's definitely a limit to the customer-supported model. I'm not saying that it's something that you can't do. I'm just saying if you're planning on doing that to make a living, you might want to consider other means of monetizing your show at the same time. And there are ways to make it all work out for you in the long run. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that is still the message that I'm preaching to when I'm talking to clients or when I'm talking to friends or somebody asks me, you know, what do you do for a living and how does that podcasting thing work? I, I talk about there's a million different ways you can make it work. It's about what you want to do and, and the kind of life that you want to carve out for yourself. So let's talk about that. Jay, uh, the, the sad news is, the bad news is you are 
no longer with with Vox Nest and Blog Talk and Spreaker Radio. You had a good run with them, but they have moved in a slightly different direction and and parted ways. That leaves you though with some time on your hands and and a, a big open road in front of you. I know obviously you can't talk about the specifics of opportunities and different things, companies that you've been talking to and, and potential um, doors that may have already been opened and, and you just haven't finalized a contract with. But in general terms, could you tell us what you would like to do? Like, what do you see yourself doing? I mean, obviously you want to stay in the podcast space, right? That's what I'm hearing anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't embrace the title Pod Vader for 16 years and then just give it all up. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, uh, in 16. That's too many years. I think it's only been 13. But in any case, no, podcasting is definitely my thing. I've made it my life. I've made it my career. It's definitely something that I want to do. I think you can hear from you know my experience in the space. I have a lot of it. Uh, that I can help other podcasters with. If even if they're an independent podcaster, if they're a corporate podcaster, I have a lot of knowledge of how this space works. I was actually speaking with one corporation not too long ago, and uh, they were mentioning how the Cumulus report. Cumulus uh, is a radio conglomerate that they released their quarterly earnings, and had mentioned that uh, their podcast revenue for this year was going to go up to ten million dollars for their annual revenue uh, versus the 100000 they had earned previously. And uh, this one particular person said, well, I don't believe it. And I said, well, <laughs> I've got my handy-dandy revenue calculator right here. And based on the things that they've said publicly, not only uh, is $10 million, uh, a very easily attainable number for them, I actually think they could be making twice as much of that money based on the calculations that I have here in front of me. So that's the sort of thing that I can help out from a corporation standpoint and from the independent podcaster standpoint. Obviously, I know how to start a podcast, what goes into making a podcast, and how to work with those little fiefdoms to help make some money for your podcast as you're getting launched. I think that, I mean, obviously you and I have talked off air. We're, we're friends. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jay. And I think that any of these big companies in the space would be, you know, a fool to let you slide by while you're available. But I also am excited to see what is possible for you in a, in a smaller outfit, something that's more nimble and, um, you know, that you could be more in charge of and direct because, you do have some great ideas, and I think too many times in too many different places, folks in suits with <laughs> with three or letters behind their uh, name that start with a C, they got to make decisions that were not maybe for the best of the listener or the best of the content. It's such an exciting time, man. Like Podcasting is an amazing place. For the independent producer, it is literally like the beginnings of radio. When you go back and you read about the history of radio and how it started in people's garages and, you know, the basement of department stores and things like that, like that's where we are still, even now, 15 years into the industry. So like the gold rush hasn't even happened yet. Like the explosion, the hockey stick moment is still maybe a decade away. We don't know how long it's going to take, honestly. I'm very thankful to know you uh, as one of the sort of like founding fathers, in my opinion, of, of what the industry is now. And um, I'm awfully glad we got to chit chat about it this morning, man. Well, Joel, thank you. And before I go, not only do I have to thank you, because you've been an incredible friend during this whole thing, but there are so many other people and the, the outreach that I received a few weeks ago when I mentioned that I am now an available free agent uh, was very overwhelming and very humbling, and I appreciate it all. And a very special thank you to Jared Easley, and he knows why. Very much appreciate everything that uh, people have done for me these past few weeks, and uh, hopefully you're going to be hearing from me in some sort of non-free agent mode uh, in the very near future. So before you go, Jay, two places that, that people I know can get a hold of you, and maybe there's one that I'm not thinking of, but um, first and foremost, people can listen to the Next Fan Up podcast. That's uh, your, your current and ongoing show. It's re a really interesting format. We didn't talk about it really at all in this episode, but we have talked about it in the past. You are the host, and there are 32 co-hosts, as you have a different featured co-host for every single team in the NFL, right? 
That's right. We're not all on at the same time. That would be nearly impossible to listen to. But <laughs> uh, we do try and keep sort of a roundtable format, and we do try and make sure that the teams that are most featured in the news, that particular fan is one of the featured fans on that particular show. Uh, and we're going through some format changes as well, but we do still have that 32 different co-host mentality. And that comes from my work at ESPN and understanding that there are different angles to every story. And when you can present as many of those different angles and understand that there are different angles to that particular story, uh, you get a clearer picture of what the true story actually is. Uh, and that was the idea behind that particular podcast and uh, one that could be easily <laughs> could be easily copied and used on other podcasts as well. And, and nextfanup at gmail.com is the way to get in touch with us for that podcast. And if you like the NFL and if you like NFL gambling, I'm known to give out a winner or two, uh, especially when the season starts. So you're going to want to check that out. Uh, and you can uh, reach me on my Twitter at the real pod Vader. I'm very responsive to the people that reach me there. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Basically, if you can find me and reach out to me, I will most likely answer you back especially if you get him soon. All right, folks. Jay, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate having you on. Thank you, Joel. All right. Until next time, this has been Always Listening. I'm your host, Joel Sharpton, and I am always listening. Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all our reviews by searching Always Listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play Music app. Also, you can find us anytime at alwayslisteningpod.com or email us at alwayslisteningpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Enough by Bethany Raber. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.